This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Hello, dear listeners. We're at the end of season three, which has been an exploration of how the rise of communism in Russia impacted the American Christian church. As part of that, I'm presenting a series of mini-episodes to highlight themes from this series. This is takeaway number two. Communism can be used as a scapegoat. The news came out on December 10th, 2020, on the Associated Press. It was about a Wyoming Department of Health official. And I live in Wyoming. I love Wyoming. I've been all over the state. But there are some things you need to understand. One of its nicknames is the Cowboy State, and some people take that really seriously, that they don't want restrictions put on them at all. One of those people was the Health Department's Readiness and Countermeasures Manager, one of the people working on the response to COVID-19 in this state. He was captured on tape on November 10th at an event in Colorado making some unbacked claims, shall we say, that Russia and China were behind what he referred to as the quote-unquote so-called pandemic and efforts to make a vaccine. In his mind, these were nothing but a communist plot. The news article, no surprise, announced his resignation. I'm not sure if he resigned because he didn't want to be aiding what he thought was communism or if he was forced out. I mean, you may not want a COVID denier working on the COVID response. Just a hunch. This man, of course, is not alone in his thinking. It's kind of common for people to see something they don't like, like maybe wearing a mask or not going to restaurants, and call it communism. It's one of the themes of this season. If you don't like something, call it communist. We saw this with the ousting of President Arbenz in Guatemala, striking down the New Deal measures, and creating an era of public religion in the U.S. in order to fight this economic and atheistic system. Some of us use communism as a boogeyman, a scapegoat, a way to scare others to distract them long enough that we can do whatever we want to. One of the other places this tactic surfaces is around the issue of race. Fortunately, I was able to talk with someone who has thought a lot about this. Jamar Tisby is a podcaster and author of The Color of Compromise and the new book, How to Fight Racism. I'll be featuring a full interview with him soon, but I thought this little tidbit was important. We'll hear from Jamar after this short break. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. 
Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. You talk about race a lot in your books and on your podcast and in your speaking tours. Um, How has, especially racism in the United States, uh, incorporated Marxism into the conversation where we can kind of just ignore racism if we just call it Marxism? Right. So there is a very long history of labeling people, groups, ideas in a pejorative fashion such that if you put this particular label on them, you can stick them in a box, put them on the shelf and ignore them. And this happens yeah. <laughs> this happens all the time when it comes to race, racism and racial justice. So if we look at the specific issue of communism, it was often used as a label against people who were fighting for racial justice against civil rights activists. And, you know, sort of the big picture there is, is what I just mentioned is that if, if you can slap people with this label, then you don't have to listen to what they're saying, no matter how legitimate it is. So I, 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 I think we need to really grasp the underlying logic here that is not actually about the ideology or the framework or whatever that word might mean in an academic or philosophical sense. What it's fundamentally about, I believe, is about doing anything and everything one can to disregard this movement, this effort, these changes that are being promoted. So that's foundational. That's bottom line that we have to understand. How did it get mixed up with communism is an interesting question. I think it has lots of different answers. But on one level, the first of all, understanding the, the historicity of it, right? So, so communism is the threat. If we can put ourselves back in the mid-20th century, communism is the threat. Uh, we're, we're, the U.S. is just out of World War II. Russia is the big transnational global rival to the United States. And the foreign policy at the time is basically cut off communist expansion around the globe, wherever it may show up, Southeast Asia, the Caribbean, Latin America, wherever it might be, Africa. And so that's the spirit. And there was always this fear of communists infiltrating the United States. They call it the Red Scare, right? So, And then it's exacerbated by certain political officials in the government, in the FBI and, and and elected officials and all of that. So behind every social movement, behind every controversy, controversy in society was the potential for communist spies to be involved. And so there there is this real fear, a palpable fear in the United States among many that communism is somehow creeping into the supposed democratic ideals of the nation. And and here's the thing that tends to happen, is there's a very shallow understanding of what communism actually is or means. And uh, there's, there's always, you know, different levels, right? You can look at an academic sort of book definition of communism and read Karl Marx and all of that stuff. And then you can look at the way communism actually works itself out in terms of politics and government and how national actors uh, enact communism. And so there's different levels to this. But in the US, people have the simplest 
on, honestly often erroneous definitions of big concepts like communism. So what happens with communism is folks basically view it as collectivism is another term that often comes up in these conversations. Collectivism, meaning, you know, they, they understood communism as uh, the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie and the workers against uh, the the owners and all of that. And, and the slogan, workers of the world unite, kind of a thing, signaled to certain uh, mainly politically conservative, socially conservative people that they wanted everybody to come together and they didn't want any differences, divisions, or separations, which in one sense was true. It was true in the sense that um, communism advocated for poor people, whoever you were, racially, ethnically, nationally, to unite against the wealthy. But the way that got transcribed in the U.S. context was they want to do away with racial segregation. They want to, quote, amalgamate the races, which means mush them all together, which brought up white nationalist fears of race mixing. And there was all of this conversation about, oh, we're going to lose the, the pure race or the pure blood of white people. And if communism takes over, they're going to have black people and white people mixing up and it's just going to be this big old amalgamation and race mixing and there's not going to be any more Anglo-Saxon people at all. And so that's how it got transcribed in a racial sense so that whenever somebody fought for civil rights or racial integration, that became a proxy for a communist infiltration that had to be stopped. And, and we see that today. I, I was working on this season talking about how communism impacted the Christian church, and people kept sending me messages like, this is not relevant to today. Why are you talking about this? And then uh, in the summer of 2020, with the Black Lives Matter protests, um, the biggest thing I was hearing from critics of Black Lives Matter was, it's a Marxist movement. Yeah, um, and so th then that gave them the permission again to ignore it or just to yes. to write it off. If I'm not mistaken, there well, these people have told me on the Black Lives Matter website, uh, it was saying that the a few members of the the organization itself called themselves Marxists, but because Marxism now can be kind of a lot of different things, uh, whether it's actually following Karl Marx or it's just mm -hmm. I want to see um, equality amongst people, especially income equality. And, and that derailed a lot of the conversations I had with folks because just a few members were able to say that and it it kind of labeled the whole movement and messed it up. That, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that made it very difficult to have conversations for me. I imagine for you, you as well. Yeah. Did, yeah, did you have sure. people calling you a Marxist? <laughs> happens, happens almost daily. Yes. <laughs> Does it really? Okay. How, how do you respond to that? Mostly I don't. Yeah. Uh, the people, the people who level that, and and this is sort of my general principle, and also advice I would give to folks who are dealing with it is the people who are using those labels are probably not in a place where they want to really understand your perspective. Uh, hmm. I find the people who 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 may disagree with me, but but want to to learn more, and and we may still come out disagreeing. They're not going to proactively and preemptively label me something. Uh, they're they're going to ask questions. They're going to access the the materials I produce, you know, blog posts, books, things of that nature, and we can have a dialogue. But if somebody is 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 
coming out of the gate calling you a communist Marxist or the latest label critical race theorist. And, and I say they're not in a place because I mean we're all on a journey. And so I'm leaving open the chance for change. And so they may come around. They may come around to being more open. They may come around to, to wanting to have a, a better conversation on these matters. So mostly I keep it stepping. If it's on social media, I will block and mute like it's going out of style. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's such a great tool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a great so tool. Good. It's so good. And it will save you so much stress and strife. Um, but if you do have to engage with someone, I ask questions because most of the time they're getting talking points from certain outlets that aren't always um, as committed to truth as they are to clicks, if that makes sense. Uh, so, so, so they're looking for traffic for their website or their YouTube channel or whatever it might be. And honestly, you know, controversy gets the clicks. So if they can say inflammatory things, they will. So if that's where you're getting your, your definitions and outlets, then, then you probably don't have as, as good an understanding as you need to have. So I ask them, what is a communist? What is a Marxist? What is your understanding of it? And when it comes to Christians, it, it boils down to usually uh, the idea that it's atheistic and that if it's if it's godless, then as a Christian, I can't access that at all. What I find in activist circles, when they say communist and Marxist and use those ideas or, or call themselves that, they're talking about the mainly economic principles that go along with it, some of the political principles, but but it's about the idea that the way capitalism has been practiced in the United States has has disproportionately harmed uh, black people and other people of color. And we can point to all kinds of data on that, um, namely the racial wealth gap. But that racial wealth gap, which is not only large, it's also growing. So this problem is not getting better as we go along. But we can trace that all the way back to race-based chattel slavery, which I can go into a whole soliloquy on as, uh, you know, fundamentally an economically exploitative system that refused to pay its laborers, right? So when activists talk about communism or Marxism, they're talking about um, uniting a diverse coalition of people who have been exploited economically in order to gain more economic and political power and ultimately to, to gain uh, a better life for themselves. So it's a very deep and nuanced discussion that's going to have to go beyond the blog post that you read or the three-minute YouTube video that you watched. I like what Jamar had to say there. And again, I'll have a full interview with him in a few episodes. I'd like to stop there to highlight some of what we discussed. First, there is real income inequality in the United States especially between minorities and whites. That's just a fact. How we close that gap is up for debate, but I think we need to address that reality. When it comes to wealth equality, it gets really hard to talk solutions. For some of us, just opening up the conversations about money is socialism. Let me just say, it's not. It's just not. And it's not inherently socialist to discuss race. The impulse to call deep societal issues of race socialism is really present these days. And it shouldn't be. I think sometimes it's just us looking for an excuse not to have a serious conversation. 
Which brings me to the second point. It's counterproductive to just slap the words communism and socialism on stuff you don't like. When I hear someone on the news call a movement socialist, that immediately puts up a red flag in my mind. Because, as I said in the episode called What's the Difference Between Communism and Socialism, communism and socialism rarely stay within the boundaries of their dictionary definitions. They shapeshift. Yes, there are legitimate communist and socialist movements out there, but not every movement that talks about money is going to throw you into a gulag. Requiring the use of masks in public spaces in Wyoming is very, very different from government-controlled industry rounding up millions of people and sending them to work camps. That kind of alarmist reaction is just not helpful. It's fear-mongering. Third, it's helpful when discussing communism and socialism to define terms, because it gets messy. Today, it can mean anything from straight-up following Karl Marx to simply wanting to close the income gap. It helps to comprehend where people are really coming from before you get into a debate. Fourth, if you yourself are going to call yourself a Marxist or a communist or a socialist, you need to understand that people will think you are aligned with Karl Marx, Stalin, Mao, and all the millions of deaths that occurred in places like China and Russia. Know that going in. If you're not with those guys, I'd suggest finding a better description for your beliefs. If you just want to close the income gap, maybe just say that. Because you're not a textbook Marxist, and it confuses people if you say you are. Finally, if someone calls a movement socialism just so they can dismiss it, maybe don't take them so seriously. If a news outlet calls everything socialism and it clearly isn't, maybe it's time to look elsewhere. Roll all of that together and you get takeaway number two for this series. Beware of using communism as a scapegoat. Special thanks to our guest, Jamar Tisby. There are so many ways to access his work. I'll let Jamar tell you about it. I've got two books. Uh, my latest one is called How to Fight Racism that is available wherever books are sold. The first one is called The Color of Compromise. I also started a brand new newsletter so you can be an early adopter and innovator. It's on Substack and it's called Footnotes and you just go to jamartisby.substack.com. So I'd love for you to follow and subscribe to that newsletter. I'll have links to his books and podcasts in your show notes. Truce is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to be a part of what I'm doing here, consider giving a little to help out. You can learn how at trucepodcast.com donate. Once you're there, you'll be able to learn more about my novel, Cradle Robber, and my movies, Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls. I'll have some more mini episodes coming your way in the next few days as we ramp up to next season. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce.